0: Amen, amen. Okay, um, if you're joining us for the first time and you've uh, this is the first time you're, you're with us, we'd like to say welcome and we have one of these um, contact prayer cards. If you fill it out, turn it in at the Hospitality Center. We have a little gift for you, but also in the place, in the bottom of the card, there's a place for prayer. If we can pray for you, please use that card. Okay, uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles this morning, we are continuing in the our series in the book of Revelation this morning, we find ourselves in chapters 15 and 16. Chapter 15 is a fairly short chapter, so we're going to do two chapters together, but um, they kind of have one central theme. Uh, The Travisanos, we really want to especially thank uh, the congregation for allowing me to go to Italy for the past two weeks, and what a wonderful time we had, and and the gifts and support you is appreciated so much in the prayers. It was a really gracious trip. Um, one of the things that happened is we, we showed up on, uh, on Wednesday. And on Wednesday, the, uh, the Pope uh, comes out in St. Peter's Square. And there was, we turned around. And there was 50,000 people in St. Peter's Square <laughs> thinking, what's going on? Well, the Pope comes out while we were Rome. But let me back up the story a little bit. Before I went to Italy, I, I went to my local hair, hairdresser and get a, my hair cut for, uh, for the trip. And uh, he asked me, I was telling him what was going on. And he said, well, I said, I'm going to Italy. He says, Italy? Oh, what do you want to go to Italy for? <laughs> and I said, oh, it's just, you know, it's just not a... You know, the people aren't real friendly, and it's kind of dirty, and it's a third-world country. Why do you want to do that? And I said, "Oh." He says, how are you going? I said, well, we're flying on United. He said, oh, United. That, that, that. LAUGHTER they're not good at all. Oh, don't don't go United. You ought to go fly Alitalia? I said oh, all right. He says where are you going? I said well we're going to travel around, but we're hoping to go to Rome. Rome? Oh what? You don't want to go to Rome? It's a dirty, smelly city, filled with tourists and just awful. He says what are you going to do in Rome? I says, well I was hoping to go to the Vatican, maybe get to see the Pope. Oh the Pope? Don't bother. He's too busy. You'll never even get anywhere near him. And so the whole haircut was one negative thing after another. So uh, just last, er, last, earlier this week, I got back and I went back to get my haircut for the service this morning. And he recognized me and said, well, how'd the trip go? And I said, oh, it was wonderful. Italy was the most wonderful country. I just loved it. The people were warm and friendly. And I said, United was great. They were right on time and they gave us extra service and upgraded us to nicer seats. It was just an incredible, wonderful trip. And uh, Rome was wonderful. The people were, and we got to go to the Vatican. The Vatican Museum is the most incredible place you want to go. And I said, and uh, we saw the Pope. (laughs) He said, saw the Pope. And I said, and he talked to me. He said, what did he say to you? He leaned out of the Pope mobile and he said, where did you get that lousy haircut? (laughs) Most of that's not true, <laughs> but we did go to Rome, and we did go to the Vatican, and we, we did show up on Wednesday, and he comes out. It's really neat. They, they read the scriptures in a couple of languages, and then he gives a little homily, and he was talking that morning about marriage and the importance of marriage, so they were reading from the scriptures. It was really quite, and he was right. He doesn't use the protected Mobile anymore. He's right down and a little, he's right there with the people shaking hands. And matter of fact, the Harlem, ha- Harlem Globetrotters were there that day, and he was spinning the ball with them and having a wonderful time. So we do appreciate uh, uh, the opportunity to go and, and visit. We just had an incredible, wonderful time. One, one story, and I'll get to it. We, we went to this church with Chiro and Marcia, who were helping with us in Torre del Greco, which is part of Naples, on Sunday morning. So we get there, we're running a little bit late. A big church, about 500 believers, Uh, and so we scoot in the back, and all of a sudden, everybody's looking at us and pointing and saying something to us, and at first, they didn't understand, and then we suddenly realized, the men were on one side, the women were on the other. Oh, that was different, and then we looked, and all the women were covered. They all had veils. They all were wearing tops, and so... uh, But it was really nice. Everyone greets you. And I I, I love, you know, it says in the Bible that we should greet each other with a holy kiss. In Italy, they follow the scriptures. (laughs) You shake somebody's hand, and before you know it, you're getting kissed. Buongiorno, buongiorno. On the left side and on the right side. And we saw that in the church, and I thought, isn't that wonderful? Um, They have a different culture, something uh, that's very rich. That sometimes in our busyness, we forget here in America. We saw no one carrying coffee cups in Italy. There's no takeout coffee. Everyone, when you have a cup of coffee, you sit there and you talk with one another. No rushing around with coffee. No Starbucks. There's no Starbucks. We didn't see a Starbucks. We saw two McDonald's, but that's it. Anyway, wonderful trip great country. Um, be talking a little bit about my trip over the next couple of weeks on my blog, and it's in your bulletin. If you want to check with that, you can do that, and I'd love to tell you stories. Maybe we'll have a lunch after church one Sunday, and uh, Brian and Relina have it this Sunday, so we won't be talking about Italy. Anyway, uh, Revelation chapter 15 and 16. Um, it's kind of like there's good news and there's bad news. The good news is Jesus is coming back. Amen? The bad news, he's coming uh, in judgment. And uh, that's where we find ourselves in chapters 15 and 16. Now, the last time we were together, we talked about how God judges. How God judges. Remember in chapter 14, we talked about in God's judgment, there is always a remnant. Remember that? We talked about there's always a remnant. We also said in his, in his judgment, he always gives a warning. He always warns before he judges And thirdly, we saw in chapter 14, he always discerns between the believer and the unbeliever. So there's always a remnant, he always gives a warning, and he always discerns between a believer and unbeliever. This morning, we're going to talk about the results of his judgment. And we see in these two passages, in these two chapters, four results of the judgment of God. And I want to speak briefly this morning About those, and then try to make some sort of application for us in the second half of the sermon. So let's uh, read chapter 15 first. It's only eight verses. Follow along with me in your Bible, and I am reading from the New American Standard. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire and those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name standing on the sea of glass holding harps of God. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After these things I looked, and the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And the seven angels who had seven plagues came out of the temple clothed in linen, clean and bright, and girded around with their chest with golden sashes. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Father, we're thankful for the word of God, the instruction that it gives us, the hope that it gives us, and the power that it enables us to live that Christian life. Do that this morning from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing we see in verses 1 through 8 of chapter 15 is God is seen as holy, righteous, and true. God is seen as holy, righteous, and true. The chapter opens up with a vision from heaven. John is in heaven again. And it almost takes us back to chapter 4 when he... uh, We saw the tribulation saints before the heaven, before the throne of God, worshiping God. And uh, that's what we see here. And they are singing and praising God. And notice in verses three and four, righteous and true are your ways. They glorify him as holy, righteous, and true. Notice why that's important because in verses five through eight, what is about to take place in, verse, in chapter 16 comes directly from the throne of God, from directly from the throne of God. He, partici- he starts what is, what is directed, and we'll see in the, just a few minutes in chapter 16, these seven bowls of wrath and judgment that are poured upon. They, There's not a mistake. It comes right from the throne of God. That's what we see here. So God is seen as holy and righteous and true. These aren't just yes men praising him. They recognize who he is in, in light of what he is about to do on this earth. Notice in chapter 16, we'll get that in just a minute, one of the angels cries out after the third angel pours out his bowl of wrath, and he says that what is about to happen to them is they is, is right because they deserve it. They deserve what is about to happen to them. God is righteous, holy, and true. Now, sometimes the problem we have with God's judgment, when we read chapter 16, and we haven't got there yet, but when you read it, you're going to see, man, there's some pretty heavy things going down. Wow. And sometimes people have trouble with the judgment of God and they don't understand it and they even fight against it, perhaps because of the sin in their own lives. I read an article years ago written by the lady who started a MAD. You know what MAD is? Mothers Against Drunk Driving. M-A-D-D, MAD. And she said she found out in talking to judges and juries that oftentimes the reason judges don't give se- uh, severe sentences, the fullest sentence that they could, to people who are driving drunk and have been caught driving drunk is often the reason juries and judges don't do that because they themselves have been driving drunk. Sometimes the reason we struggle with what we read in chapter 16 is because of our own sin and our own lives. We ourselves are sinners. And so we struggle against what we see here in chapter 16. Now, do you remember the story in Genesis chapter 18? Abraham and the Lord are on a hilltop, and they're overlooking Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you remember that story? And they're, they're talking about it, and Abraham is kind of dealing with God, <laughs> trying to cut the people in Sodom and Gomorrah a little slack. He says, you know, if you find 50, will you hold back judgment? Do you remember that? And then they just march their way around. I think they finally end up around five. He says, so even five, will you, will you hold back your judgment? And I love what uh, the Bible says there. It says, Shall not the judge of this earth be righteous, be fair, be true? Of course he is. It's really important as we read this passage to recognize that God is righteous, holy, and true in his judgment. Why is that? Because if he's not, we ourselves might be in trouble. He might welsh on the deal that he made with us. Remember the deal he made with us? That Christ received the full brunt of his wrath. And that if we'll just put our faith and trust in him that we'll be delivered from the wrath of God. If we believe that he was resurrected on the third day, isn't that the gospel? That we will go to heaven. Well, how about if we get to heaven and God is not holy, righteous, and true, and he just decides, you know, a couple of you guys, I don't like you and you're not getting in even. God it won't do that to us because he's true to his word. He's righteous and holy, even in spite of what we read here in chapter 16, which we really struggle with. One of the words of Jesus just before he died in John chapter 19 was what? It is finished. Do you remember that? It is finished. No, he wasn't talking about his life. That was true. He died just a few, few minutes after that. But what was he talking about? It is finished. The wrath of God was fully poured out on Christ. Now, notice here in chapter 16, Verse 17, the seventh angel pours out his bowl upon the air and a loud voice came out of the temple and throne saying what? It is done. Same thing. They're talking about the same thing. The wrath of God was fully poured out. The people that are experiencing what's written in chapter 16 did not have to have that happen to them. Why? Because it was fully accomplished on Christ. The wrath of God was fully poured out on Jesus. However, those rejected Christ, turned away from him. And in verse 6, it says they deserve it. It didn't have to happen to them. It did not have to happen to them that day if they put their faith in Christ. He said it's done. It's done, and we too don't have to come under the judgment of God. If we are in Christ, if we put our faith and trust in him, if we believe that he died for us and the the wrath that was poured on him that day on the cross was for our sins, the gospel says if we'll put our trust in him and him only, we believe that God raised him from the dead on the third day, We're freed from the wrath of God. So the first thing we see in chapter 15 is God is seen as holy, righteous, and true, and he is. Even as we read those things in chapter 16. Second thing we find in verses two through four, believers will praise and glorify God. Believers will praise and glorify the Lord. They sing this song, and notice, the song is called the Song of Moses, and what? The Song of the Lamb. <laughs> they don't talk about Moses. You know, that's in verse 3, but in verse, the second half of verse 3 and all of verse 4, which gives us the song they're singing, they don't sing anything about Moses. They don't sing anything about Jesus. Why is that? Because it's all about God. But primarily, what they're talking about is in the Hebrew Scriptures, Moses was the Great deliverer, delivered his people from Egypt, which is a picture of sin. And in the New Testament, that's also true for Jesus, amen? But the whole theme is that God has done this incredible work. Why are they singing? Because in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one should boast. If they had part of that, if they did some great work in order to be saved, they'd be boasting about themselves in verses three and four. But they're not talking about themselves. Who are they talking about? They're talking about God. They're talking about what he has done. And so believers are praising the Lord and glorifying him and him only. The third result of this judgment is man's free will is confirmed in verses 5 and 6 of 16. Notice what it says. And I heard an angel of the waters saying, Righteous are you who are and who were holy one because you judged these things, for they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. Now, this is where it kind of gets a little touchy. There's a giant controversy kind of going around Christianity today about how this whole concept of how God takes a person from being totally lost and depraved to being born again and renewed. How does that happen? And you kind of have two camps. You have those who say, it's all God. He sovereignly predestinates and chooses us. And there's other, on the other side, there would be those who say, well, wait a minute, somehow we have something to say about that. And it's, it's a controversy. And, it, and sometimes it, it, it kind of splits the body of Christ. And there are good believers in all of those camps, in every shade of that. Now, in my journey, I, I've been in a journey on that, When I first came out of seminary, I was pretty much on the sovereignty of God side, the predestination side. But over the years, I've kind of come and landed a little bit on the other side, okay? So I don't throw stones at my Calvinistic brothers. Why? I'll tell you why, because I was there. I don't throw stones at them. How could I? It's a journey that each one of us has to kind of come to a place. Now, the place, where have I come? I've come to the place where I understand it's a mystery. It's a mystery, guys. It's a miracle that you're here. Who did it? God. God did it. It's a mystery. It's a miracle that I'm here preaching to you from his word. And I respect both camps, but I'm kind of, I've moved kind of to that little bit of the, Decide, and in this passage, it says, somewhere in that mystery of God, is God sovereign? Yes. If God's not sovereign, somebody else is God. Is He choosing us? Yes. Does He predestinate us? Yes. But somewhere in that mix, somewhere in that wonderful mystery, we have a choice. We choose. Why? Because God won't be holy and righteous and just. If he pours out his wrath on those who never had an opportunity to say yes or no to Christ. So we don't throw rocks at our Calvinistic brothers or those who believe that, nor do we, we don't get on a campaign against others. We we try to see, God, it's a mystery that I'm here, and I'm so thankful that I'm here. And God is righteous, holy, and true in everything he does, in everything he does. Okay, let's take a look at chapter 16 and we'll uh, look at the fourth result of God's judgment. Now, this is, uh, there's some pretty heavy things going down here. Look at this. Chapter 16, verse one. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and it became a loathsome and malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshiped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became blood like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And he heard the angel of the water saying, Righteous are you who are, and who were." O Holy One, because you judge these things. For they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord, the Almighty, true, and are your righteous judgments. The fourth angel poured out the bowl upon the sun, and it was given it to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has the power over these plagues and they did not repent so as to give him glory. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his angel became darkened, and they gnawed on their tongues because of pain, and they blasphemed God of heaven because of their pain and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river, the Euphrates, and its water was dried up so the way would be prepared for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of a false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. For there are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world and gather them together for the war of the great day of God, the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place which in Hebrew is called har Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air. And a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds of peals of thunder. There was a great earthquake such as there had not been since that man came upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it and so mighty. And the great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the Great was remembered before God to give up her cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men, and they blasphemed God because of the plagues of the hail. The fourth result non believers will blaspheme the Lord. Non believers will blasphemy the Lord. Let's first take a look at the seven bowls of wrath. Verse two, loathsome and malignant sores came upon those, just like we saw in some of the 10 plagues that are found in Exodus chapter nine. Verse three, blood in the sea. Once again, very similar to what happened in Exodus chapter seven. Blood on fresh water, similar, very similar to the, the plagues, the 10 plagues that took place in Egypt. Verse 8 men are scorched uh, with the sun. There it is, global warming. <laughs> uh, vice president, our last vice president will be very happy about this. Al Gore will be happy. Uh, verse 10 darkness on the kingdom of the beasts, just like what took place in Exodus chapter 20. Ex- Exodus chapter 10. In verses 12 through 16, we see nations are gathered to the Valley of Jezreel by the old town of Megiddo, and that's where we get the Battle of the Armageddon. It takes place in the Valley of Jezreel where God opens up and draws in all the nations, uh, the armies of the world that are against him for that final battle. That takes place. And there's a great earthquake and huge hailstones. Now, some people have problems with hailstones, but I saw a picture where they had, just last week, hailstones four and a half inches in diameter, and that was natural. I don't have any problems with 700-pound hailstones. God can do whatever he wants, because even right now, we're seeing big hailstones. So all these things are taking place. However, I want you to I bring your attention, bring your attention to verses 9, 11, and 21 three times, three times they do what? They blaspheme God. Now, one would think, I don't know about you, when things start to go bad in my life, what do I do? I draw near to God. Isn't that true for you? Maybe when, uh, maybe when you get the pink slip or, uh, you know, money's getting real tight, what do you do? I'll tell you what I do. <laughs> I come to church. I come forward for prayer. I want, I want some help. I draw near to God. But this is the exact opposite. They're going through difficult times, and rather than drawing near to God, what do they do? Three times it says they blaspheme God. Why is that? Why is that? In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, it talks about sinners, and it says... That they have their conscience seared as with a hot iron. Now, have you ever been barbecuing, say, a steak or chicken, and you get to watching the football game or something that's going on, or you're watching the news, and before you know, it, oh, we forgot the meat, and you run over to the barbecue pit, and there's all smoke, and you know, and the meat is is black, you know, and it's hard even to cut because you just burn it. It's crispy. That's what he's talking about. Their soul, because uh, uh, they have given themselves so much to sin, it's become seared as with a hot iron. The word of God can't get through because their impenitent heart. As a pastor, I've been asked by uh, some unbelievers from time to time, now, pastor, you mean to tell me somebody can sin all their life, and at the last moment, accept Christ and be forgiven? Is that true? And you know what my answer is? Yeah, that's true. Oh, that's not, that doesn't seem fair. See, they don't understand the grace of God. They don't understand the grace of God. But wait, 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 wait. Don't take that too far, my friends. Because remember what the Bible says. In Hebrews, it says, Uh, Do not harden your hearts. If the Lord is speaking to you, do not reject his word because it hardens your heart. It sears your conscience. Sears your conscience. Now, what the problem with these people in chapter 16, you know what their problem is? They have rejected the gospel. They have rejected the, the revelation of God that is in nature so much that they have brought themselves to a place where they can't repent anymore they're they're seared it's, it's just they don't hear the word then added to that is this terrible scripture in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 11 you might want to write that down look at it later 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 11 in speaking about the end times the bible says this is it's, it's a good verse but it's Frightening, it says that God will send a strong delusion upon those who have rejected the truth so that they will what? Will believe a lie. Whoa, that doesn't say that. Read it, read it. Now is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't do that because it might bring you to a place where you're going to find yourself unable to repent, not wanting to hear the gospel, not hearing his love for you. Now is the day of salvation, the Bible tells us. The third reason why you don't want to wait too long is you never know how long you're going to live. Now, we had a fellow here in our church, thankfully, he's doing fine, Dean West, Earlier this week, he was at a men's dinner, and everything was fine. Hey, Dean, how you doing? Everything is wonderful. Just looking great and healthy, and you know, Dean, just bubbly and just a wonderful brother. Then later on this week, he's in ICU. uh, Three and a half bypasses to fix his heart. He almost died. He was he had the one what they call the artery. It's called the widowmaker. Was ninety percent closed. He was that close to death. He looked great on Wednesday. <laughs> a couple of days later, he was in ICU fighting for his life. That might be true for you. You never know. You never know. Now is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his word, yield to him. If God is speaking to you about something, don't harden your heart. Open your heart to him. Say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Okay. Three quick applications in the last few minutes that I have here. First application. Repeated hearings not responded to harden one's heart. Well, we've already I've already preached that. Repeated hearings not responded to harden one's heart. Stories are told about a man who was visiting Germany in the nineteen thirties from the United States when he got there. He saw what the Nazis were doing to the Jews, and he was horrified. Oh, my heavens, I can't believe they do that. But he was there for about a month, and as the days got on, he became less and less bothered by what had happened. They were still treating the Jews miserably in the street corners. What was his problem? He had become desensitized to the horror of what he was seeing. My friends, that happens to us. We become desensitized. Don't allow that to happen. By chapter 16, the folks that we see here suffering the judgment of God had kept turning away and they missed their last opportunity, and the judgment of God fell upon them. Second application praise given is measured. The depth of our praise is in direct proportion to what we know about our own lostness. <laughs> Now, these people here in chapter 15, they recognize, A, that they're sinners, and what? B, that Christ has done it all. And they are thanking God and singing about the song of Moses and the servant of the lamb and having a wonderful time praising God because they recognize the depth of their own lostness. Do you remember that story? I think it's in Luke chapter seven where the lady is wiping the feet of Jesus with her hair and her tears and her perfume. She's pouring out all this stuff. And, and Jesus turns to a Pharisee and he says, you know, uh, you didn't give me a kiss. You didn't give, you didn't give me water, wash my feet. You gave nothing to me. And he says, then he turns to this lady who happened to be a lady of ill repute. And he says, but she has loved, uh, she loves much because what? She's been forgiven much. What we need in this church is not a seminar on worship. (laughs) What we need is a realization of how lost we were and how great God has moved in our lives because praise and worship is in direct proportion to the realization of how great God has worked in your life and how lost you were before he did that. And that's what brings praise out of the heart of man. Finally, Third application. Faith and trust is called for when we read chapters like this. Now, when we read a chapter like 16 with our own wisdom, leaning on our own understanding, it seems, oh, Pastor Neil, it's so destructive, so wasteful. Did did that all have to happen? Well, think about it. Think about the days of Noah. The days of Noah. Only eight were saved. All mankind, all air-breathing animals. God. Wow. Think about the times of Joshua. He gave God gave the Canaanites four hundred years to repent. He gave the Canaanite culture four hundred years to repent, and they refused. And Joshua's call was what? Go in and wipe those cultures out. That's what the Bible says. Think about Jerusalem. Babylon came in and burned that city and filled it with dead carcasses. And anybody who wasn't killed was carried off into Babylon. And there's Jeremiah sitting on a hill watching it all happen. Those were the acts of God. What's needed when we see something like this and we, and we understand what God is doing, we have to consider that, A, God is holy, righteous, and true in his judgment. He is. And we have to see the goodness of God in our own lives. There are not two gods, the God of wrath and Old Testament and the God of love in the New Testament. That's not true. There is one God. One God. And he expresses his character primarily which is love and that his love is shown on the cross of Jesus Christ. But he will not deny his holiness and justice and righteousness because he is that too. And both, the love and the holiness of God was shown on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you're not in Christ, if you're not in Christ, you come under his judgment. And he will not compromise. He cannot. He cannot go against himself. Judgment of God is coming. And rightly so, may all of us be in Christ. Pray with me, please. Father, when we read a, a chapter like we read this morning, these two chapters, it awakens us to the reality of the lostness of those who don't know Christ and the reality of who you are. You are not some gentle grandfather, some man upstairs that can be fooled and cajoled, but you are the living, holy, righteous God to whom we must answer. Lord, we recognize your holiness, your justice, but we also recognize your love. We embrace that love. We find that love through your dear Son. May that be true for each one. In Jesus' name.